We continue in 1 Peter chapter 3 today, looking at critical truths for the storm. Our retired pastor and his wife had to evacuate from their home because of Hurricane Katrina. Many of us remember that. After the storm passed, they were allowed to go back to their home to collect whatever belongings they could collect. And so as he's walking through his home, uh, water up to his knees, he's just looking for whatever he could salvage. And he came across some photos. That was all he could, he could get. So he took those photos and went back to the shelter and was taking the pictures out of the frames. And he came across a picture of his father. And he, he, he took that picture out of the frame and sure enough, money began to fall out of the frame. And to his astonishment, there was $366 in that picture frame. And what was amazing about that was that picture was taken in 1942 when this retired pastor was only 12 years old. And so here it is, $366 that he finds in this picture frame, which happened to be the exact amount of money that this retired pastor and his wife needed to travel to Atlanta to be with their daughter to have a place to stay after Hurricane Katrina. I think one of the temptations that accompany every storm is questioning if God has abandoned us. This is a temptation that comes with every storm. By now, we're familiar with the historical context of 1 Peter. God's people, as we know, were suffering greatly during this time. But the truths that God gave to his servant Peter for them and for us were and are so very critical. We continue in verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his eyes are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Now, the first two critical truths that we're going to look at today will appear to be stating the obvious. I mean, they are. They're, they're going to be very like, did you really have to point that out? The issue is, when we find ourselves in a storm, what should be so obvious to us isn't always so obvious, is it? It's not. Here's the first critical truth that is critical for this reason. Listen, the Lord is not blind. <laughs> the Lord is not blind, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. That seems obvious, doesn't it? Of course, sure, God's eyes are over the righteous. That's obvious until we're in pain. until we're suffering, until we're hurting. It's not so obvious then, is it? As a philosophy, hedonism says, pleasure is the only thing intrinsically valuable to a person at all times, and pain is the only thing that is intrinsically not valuable to an individual. So when we're talking about hedonism, hedonism values one thing, pleasure. And it devalues one thing, pain. That's hedonism. Listen, this is why, hang with me, this is why pain is often man's ultimate deal breaker with God. Pain is often man's ultimate deal breaker 
with God. It is. People can proclaim to be all in with him. He's magnificent, he's marvelous, he's gracious, he's wonderful, he's kind, he's loving, he's righteous, his word is pure and perfect, and there's all these wonderful things. Yes, that is my God, until the storm comes and the pain sets in, and the tune changes. And after that, many have walked away from him permanently. Listen, man struggles with the concept of a benevolent, all-powerful God who somehow allows pain to touch people. How do you reconcile that? There is not a lot of right whatsoever in that line of thinking. It's actually all wrong. For time's sake, the problem with that thinking is, listen, it is very selfish and shallow. It is. That thinking says, if he is God, then this is how I believe he should behave. I mean, these are my thoughts, these are my expectations of what I think an all-powerful, benevolent God, this is what He ought to be to me. This is how He ought to respond. This is what He ought to do. And when He doesn't meet my expectations, then I disqualify Him from being this benevolent, all-powerful God. This is where people are. So the view is, God owes me pleasure only and must keep me from pain always. That is shallow, and that is very selfish. Listen, storms will ruin us if pleasure is our bottom line. They will ruin us. If pleasure is our bottom line, Storms will ruin us. Listen, I want to recommend to you an interview on the postscript. It was episode 117 with our very own John Kendler on the cult of happiness. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. Get it this week. That'd be great. That'd be a great devotion time for you. I highly recommend it. But for now, as it pertains to counseling issues, this is an undeniable observation that I have come to. In dealing with a number of people over the years, I've come to learn that most people, listen, simply want to feel good. They just want to feel good. Not really interested in getting to the bottom of issues and really solving problems. I just want to feel better. I just want to feel good. So anything that you can say to me, prescribe for me, that will help me to feel better, I want it. I just want to feel good. At its core, that is hedonistic. I value pleasure, and I hate pain. 
You know who was a hedonist in Scripture that we can learn from? Solomon. You check out Ecclesiastes and you see where that road takes you. If you are a worshiper of good feelings and that's your bottom line, you ought to spend some time in Ecclesiastes and see where that takes you. Not a good place. And what exposes this hedonistic heart are storms. So if I'm in pain, God must be blind to that. Because if he wasn't, this wouldn't have never happened. In storms, the issue is not a sight problem with God. That's never the issue. The issue is, are we righteous? That's the issue. Look at verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous positionally in Christ. We are righteous, yes. But our theme throughout this entire epistle has been what? Christian behavior. That's been our theme. So as Christians, when we are in a storm, guess what God is looking at? God is looking at, he is observing our behavior. How are you behaving in the storm? Is it righteous or is it unrighteous? He's not blind. No, he's paying very close attention. David found himself in quite the storm once he lost the favor of King Saul. Uh, uh, 1 Samuel 18, 14 says, and David behaved himself, how? Wisely. In all his ways, and the Lord was with him. David had done nothing wrong. He didn't sign up for this hatred and this, this diabolical, wicked agenda that Saul had developed for him. He, he, he'd only obeyed God. And even when the tables turned and Saul was out of his mind and completely out of bounds, he behaved himself wisely. God was not blind to what was happening. He was with David who behaved himself wisely in all his ways. How's your behavior when things are tough? When it doesn't go the way you thought it was going to go, when you don't get your way, you don't like the outcome, God has allowed some greedy malady to touch your life. How do you respond? How do you behave? He's watching. In the storms of life, the issue is not, has the Lord abandoned me? The issue is, have I abandoned him? Because again, if you have a hedonistic heart, your bottom line is pleasure. Your bottom line is, how do you feel? And if God is not playing according to that agenda, and he allows the script to be flipped in your life, well, then God, I'll go find somebody else. This isn't worth it. You're not who I thought you were. So God didn't go anywhere. We're going somewhere else. How we behave in the storms of life tell the truth. Listen, here's a critical truth number two. The Lord is not deaf. When you're in a storm, remember he's not blind, nor is he deaf. 
For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. Would you notice that God's ears being open to our prayers is connected to righteousness? Notice that. And this is the second time that we encounter this in 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 7. To the husbands in verse 7, that your prayers be not hindered. Listen, unrighteous living frustrates our prayer life. If you are not living right before God, prayer will be maddening to you at best. Because God's ears are not opened, and He is letting you know that. A very sobering reminder from the Lord to me recently was from Hosea chapter 8 and verse 2. Uh, this is one of those mornings where I'm reading, and, and I meet God here in this verse, and it's like time stops. <laughs> And God says, let's hang out here for a bit. Let's think on this for a moment. Let's spend some time here. I want you to let this settle. Israel shall cry unto my God, we know thee. See, once the pain set in from God's judgment on them, they would certainly cry out to him. But the statement, my God, we know thee, was far from the truth. Because the very reason that judgment ultimately set in with them, with the Assyrians in, 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 in 722 B.C., was because they had rejected God from being God. They did not know him. But once life got hard, once they had to taste the consequences of their sinful disobedience, now they want to cry out to this God that they supposedly know. Listen, if there is a compelling reason to behave righteously, let me give it to you now. The worst place to be is in a storm and crying out to God who is not listening. That is the worst place to be, where you need his undivided attention unlike you ever have. And God says, because of your hard-heartedness and your disobedience and your sinful way of thinking, speaking, and living, you are wasting words. My ears are not open to you. That, my friends, is a bona fide storm. What was happening to Christians in 1 Peter was purely nefarious. But to be cut off from God in prayer would have made it an impossible situation. That is what an impossible situation is is when you can't pray to God because he's unwilling to listen. That's an impossible situation. Verse 12, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. This is the issue. The Lord was certainly against 
the wicked, evil Romans who were persecuting his people, but God's face is against all evil. Do you understand that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are very capable of evil? What was it that Peter said in in verse 9? Not rendering evil for evil. He was talking to believers. You make space for evil in your life, and you don't have a prayer life anymore. Uh, Here's critical truth number three. The Lord favors the righteous. Verse 13. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you, are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Do you understand that you can be under a tyrannical government? You can be under an ungodly spouse. You can have an absolute evil, wicked boss and be at peace and even happy. Because righteous and good behavior, listen, provoke the providential care of God over your life. So even though you are in the midst of a storm that's raging, but because you're right with God, you're behaving yourself correctly before Him, you're at peace. You can be even happy. Wow. Look at Psalm 5:12. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. I beg you to hear this. We can never Loose when we do right before God. I can't. You cannot lose when you do right before God. However, uh, we should pay very close attention to this invaluable principle. Rebels always lose. Rebels always lose. They do. What is at the root of the word rebellion? Say it with me. Rebel. This is at the root of the word. You absolutely cannot and you will not win with God. Listen, even if you are right... The moment you choose to step beyond the lines of God's Word to deal with it, you lose. You lose. David understood this in 1 Samuel. (laughs) Here's this man. He's got a diabolical, wicked agenda. This guy, his whole life now is dedicated to murdering me. And David says but that's the Lord's anointed. I can't touch him. It is not my place to deal with him. Even though he is out of bounds, he's crazy. 
He has given place to the devil in his life. David said, even when he cut a piece of his skirt off, should have done that. To my discredit, I led my family through a very, very turbulent season in 2010. It was the most difficult hour of our marriage. Not because of anything between Lori and me, but because of the ministry at the time. One of the reasons that it was so very difficult was because I had a measure of rebellion in me toward the man that I was under in ministry. I was not exceptionally fond of his leadership at times and decisions that he made. And I wasn't quiet about it. Being right to me equaled permission to rebel. I had given place to the devil as I became a willing participant in sowing discord in God's church, and you know how God feels about that. He hates it. I have confessed that to him on more than one occasion, as that, believe me, has come to look a lot different to me now than it did then. But let me tell you very carefully and very clearly and very thankfully, God chastised me in a memorable way. Memorable. I've never shed more tears in my life than I did that season. I remember at one point I was lying on the bed in a fetal position, weeping. Because uh, just running my mouth wasn't the only thing I did. I, I, I made some other decisions that was, uh, I, I was, I was making plans to, I, wouldn't have, I didn't see it this way at the time. Uh, God began to show me, though, in terms of, of, of the decisions I was making that led into this. But, but I was the man who was going to lead a rebellion. And I'm so thankful that God didn't let me take it that far. That is where I learned <laughs> the premium that God places on spiritual authority. And it is one of the reasons why I am so very careful when it comes to how I think, how I speak, and how I deal with Pastor Sam Miles. I am very careful. You might negotiate that in your life, but I'm telling you, God does not negotiate when it comes to being under spiritual authority. You are treading on very dangerous grounds when you go there. You cannot win. We said last week, if you recall, if we aren't living the good life, that our mouth has a lot to do with it. My mouth led to some very bad days for my family and others. Listen, I beg you, we can never resolve a wrong with a wrong. 
We can never resolve a wrong with a wrong. It's not possible. But you notice how the Lord refines our perspective even more clearly on this as the thought continues in verse 15. Let's look at it. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Here's our fourth critical truth. Listen, storms are ministry opportunities. Storms are ministry opportunities. I'm going to give you a very critical point. I think everything is critical, right? But if, 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 if there's one that's more critical than the others, uh, this would be it. Would you, would you listen? The storms in life, listen, will always attract an audience. They always do. Storms in life will always attract an audience, which gives us what? An opportunity to minister. One of the most challenging, horrific, difficult trials that you'll read anywhere is found in the book of Job. You look at his life and what he endured, and one of the reasons that God gave that to us. I mean, what an audience Job's had. (laughs) Was to teach us how to suffer. Please, we will teach people how to suffer well, or we will teach them how to curse God wrongfully. Whatever storm you're going through, or whatever storms you're going to face in your life, there will be an audience of people who are watching. And you will minister to them how to suffer well or how to curse God wrongfully. But they're watching. Uh, Whenever I'm at Jason's house in his living room, he has this 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 quote from Mark Trotter on a on a very nice board. It's very well done. And whether I want to see it or not, I'm I'm faced with it because I see it anytime I'm there for the most part. It's very nice. But I thank God for Mark Trotter in terms of this lesson that God used him to teach me. Mark said as he was Nearing the end, the the question is not, do I have enough faith to be healed, but do I have enough faith not to be healed? Thank you, Mark. Listen, let me, let me, let me, again, let's, 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 let's take a maturity step here. Because I think sometimes when we pray, we, we, we pray like children and, and we're praying to this, this fairy tale God who basically whatever we ask for, he's going to give us because all outcomes must be good. But no, when you pray in faith and you're really preoccupied with God's will being done, then if the outcome is not what I desire or desire, but it is God's outcome, then that is best. Listen, the point and purpose of prayer is not to get my way. 
The point and purpose of prayer is for God's will to be done for his glory. And if that means that doesn't work out to what I thought it should be, it is well with my soul. We have to grow up. Given the atrocities being perpetrated against Christians at this time, the very thought, the concept of hope might have seemed offensive. What are you talking about hope? Have you looked around? But if our hope is biblical, it gives us opportunities, listen, to minister to others who are baffled by it. How can you be at peace? How do you have the audacity to be happy? You see what's going on? Have you filled your gas tank up lately? What are you so happy about? <laughs> listen, murmuring and disputing about politics and such things, listen, will never provoke an unbeliever to ask you for the reason of the hope that's in you. <laughs> that will never happen. You sound to them, you sound just like everybody else who has no hope. Here's what does provoke them to ask you, though. When they see the peace of God that passes all understanding, keeping your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Now they're curious. Okay, man. Who's your dealer? <laughs> where, where are you getting your stuff? Is that inappropriate? I'm sorry. I'm just... It's just in the moment. I just was trying to figure out a way to be maybe funny. <laughs> and uh, sometimes I strike out. I do, clearly. But as you've told me, sometimes I'm a little intense. So I'm trying to keep it a little light, okay? Is that, did you laugh? When I, when, I said, when I said, who's your dealer, did you laugh? Yeah, sorry. Oh, come on. <laughs> I told you last week I'm in biblical counseling. You see why. Pray for my wife. Woo! Wasn't there a ladies' conference yesterday? You should have been laughing louder. Your laugh should have been so loud it filled the room. How many ladies went to that yesterday? I heard outstanding things. Oh, man, praise the Lord. That's fantastic. That's good. So husbands, it's going to be a good week. It's going to be a really good week. Yeah. Right, Linda? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, this is why Peter, in verse 11, told us to seek peace and ensue it. Man, you can do that. Listen, those who seek peace do so because they are at peace. I'm at peace. So I can seek it. I'm good. Why? Because I'm right before the Lord. I'm at peace. I don't care what's going on around me or what everybody else is doing. Joseph also learned that storms are ministry opportunities, did he not? Genesis 50, verse 20, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. 
God had an incredible and mighty plan for his servant Joseph all along, and through his providential care of Joseph, God used the evil against him to get Joseph to the place where he could be a massive blessing to the multitudes. But had Joseph got in God's way to take matters into his own hands, had he worked outside of the lines of what God had laid down for him, he would have made a bad situation that much more worse. This ultimately comes down, everybody, to the beginning and the end of verse 15. The beginning of verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Listen, God must have your entire heart. If your heart is going to be sanctified, if you're going to sanctify the Lord Jesus, the Lord God in your heart, God's got to have it. Not some of it. He's got to have your whole heart. If he doesn't, you are not very fond of what we've been covering in this chapter, are you? Because <laughs> he doesn't have your heart. And the end of verse 15 captures that heart attitude if God doesn't have your heart, listen, with meekness and fear. Pride and the absence of the fear of the Lord, listen, keep us from viewing storms as ministry opportunities. We're not thinking about how we can glorify God because he doesn't have our heart, and because he doesn't have our heart, we're not thinking about how we can be a blessing to others. Instead, we're mumbling and grumbling at God and throwing a tantrum. But would you notice the additional effect of viewing storms as ministry opportunities have on those who are against you? Would you look at verse 16? Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. A good conscience is the byproduct of being blameless before God. A good conscience is the byproduct of being blameless before God. If God has been sanctified in your heart, and because of that, you're doing right by Him, you can sleep like a baby in the presence of your most ardent enemy. Those who despise who you are and what you represent and what you stand for and slander you and, 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 and perpetrate evil and all of that against you and rail against you. But because you're blameless before God, you can sleep like a baby. Would you consider Paul's confession before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court? Now, understand what we're going to look at here. This is, this is amazing when you think about this. Uh, this is the same court uh, that Paul found himself standing before. This would have been the same court that would have commissioned him years ago 
to persecute Christians that he now stands before them as one. So they would have been against him, not for him. But would you look at what he says in Acts 23, verse 1, and Paul earnestly beholding the council said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Even as a zealous Jew with a hatred for Christians and leading the charge to persecute them unto the death, even at that time, he did it because he thought what he was doing was right before God. But when he found out that it was not, you know what he did? He repented. <laughs> and then standing before the Roman procurator, Felix, after being accused of breaking Roman law, hear what he says in Acts 24, 16, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Paul says, I'm good. I don't have any evil in my heart toward anybody. I'm good. I'm blameless. My behavior before God is right. I know that he's pleased with what I'm saying and doing. I'm good. You may hate me and what I represent. I don't hate you. As a matter of fact, while I'm here, let me tell you a little story. <laughs> Remember he's standing before Agrippa? I mean, his life is hanging in the balance, and he's not pleading for his life. But hey, while I'm here, let me tell you what happened to me on that Damascus Road one day. God was very pleased with that behavior. Not that it is the goal, but one of the effects of having a good, con a good conscience is undeniably clear. Look at verse 16 again. Whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. That will never happen in our lives if we are rendering evil for evil and railing for railing. Tick for tat. If we're not behaving in the storms of life in a way that bring glory to God, this will not be the outcome. When we do not behave wise, you know what we do? We grieve the Spirit of God and we bring shame unto ourselves. Because if we're not behaving wisely, if we're not behaving righteously, we're behaving shamefully. These are critical truths for every storm. Lord, thank you for your word today. Despite the imperfect vessel that you use, I do pray that it will, will not return void. In Jesus' name, amen.